the reading this evening is taken from Luke 21, starting at verse 37. It can be found on page 1057 of the Pew Bibles. So that's Luke 21, verse 37. Each day, Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening, he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. Now, the feast of the unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed with him to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Then came the day of the unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished, Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of heaven of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on this table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays me. They began to question amongst themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Also, a dispute arose among them as to which of them would... was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among those, among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father confirmed one on me, 
so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus said to them, asked them, when I send you without bag, purse or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus meets uh, a couple of men on the Emmaus Road in Luke 24. And after he disappears, after his resurrection, they say this. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Heavenly Father, gracious God, we thank you that as we gather this evening, we can be confident that you are with us by your spirit. And we pray now that as we open your scriptures, our hearts might burn within us as we see Jesus and what he's done for us. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Wow. About three and a half years ago, Jay and I were sat in our lounge in Derby uh, with Neil Barber, who some of you uh, will know from when he was here. And uh, Jay and I had been on a bit of a journey exploring lots of different options of uh, what we might do next and where we might go. And Neil had been very patient in listening to all our ideas. And uh, nothing seemed to be working out, really. It was all sort of hitting dead ends. And then Neil uttered those immortal words. I've had an idea. (laughs) There might be an opportunity for you in Basingstoke. Basingstoke! (laughs) We are not moving to Basingstoke. Or something like that was the words that came out of our mouth. We were were aware of the... um, the Derby Basingstoke Vortex, that seems just to suck people in. And we were determined we were not going to be part of that. And I, I grew up in Farnborough as well, and so didn't have great memories of the South and was keen to stay north. Well, <laughs> look how that worked out. And you know what? We're really glad it did. We're really glad to have been able to come here and be with you for these three years. And of course, looking back over those moments in, in all our uncertainty and confusion about uh, where we should be and what we should do, Jesus was in control. Complete control. It seems so obvious looking back. But it really shouldn't have been a surprise to us, should it? Because the Jesus we see in the Gospels and the Jesus we see in our passage tonight is the Jesus who is in complete control. 
over everything. Even when the entire situation around him seems to suggest otherwise. This evening we're going to see three things about Jesus' death. And the first is this. this. Jesus' death is what he prepared for. Jesus' death is what he prepared for. Just look at 22 verse 1. This is the context. Uh, Anticipation is building ahead of the annual celebration of the Passover, the the big event in Israel's calendar. But the chief priests and the teachers of the law are distracted. And they're distracted because, verse 2, they are desperate to find a way of getting rid of Jesus. He's a threat to them. The problem is, though, is that Jesus is popular with the people. And so arresting him without a clear reason is not going to go down well. And then Judas, under the influence of Satan, gives them just what they need. You see, Judas has what no one else has. He has insider information. Because he's one of the twelve disciples, he can be a whistleblower. He can testify to what Jesus has said about himself, his claims to be the Son of God. This is real hard evidence. Judas can really incriminate Jesus. It's no wonder, is it, verse 5, the religious leaders are absolutely delighted. With Judas' help, they've got their man. And I think at this point in, in Luke's Gospel, you feel like a pack of wolves has been released. And they're on Jesus' scent. They're hunting him down. And it's only a matter of time before they get him. They just need to wait for the right moment. And whilst all this is going on, What's Jesus doing? Well, verse 7 and 8, he's making preparations for a meal. A Passover meal. He's having to keep a low profile because the wolves are after him. So he's more vulnerable. So he sends Peter and John, verse 8, to go and make the preparations. He sends them into the city and he says, verse 10, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house he enters. And says the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. And the disciples go, Peter and John, they go and they find everything as, is just as Jesus had said. You know, I wonder what you would be like if the pack of wolves were after you. If you knew that your death was only hours away, your life is under threats, you're about to be arrested for a crime you didn't commit. I think most of us would be in full-blown panic mode. But not Jesus. Jesus is calmly making arrangements for a meal to celebrate God's rescue of his people. Of all the things that Jesus could be doing in this moment, why this? Why not be teaching? Why not be with the crowds, gathering people around him, rallying people to his cause, building his support base? Well, because of the significance of what Jesus is about to do in this upper room, what he's about to do and say to the disciples. Just look at verse 14. When the the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. 
And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus is eager to be with them. When you know you're leaving, you, you treasure the last moments you spend with people, don't you? I think Jay and I have been much more aware in recent weeks as we've uh, been around Sundays and said hello and goodbye to church family, just how precious those, those friendships and relationships are. Because we know in a matter of weeks, we won't have those conversations. We're moving on, we're leaving behind people and relationships that we care about. We'll miss them. Maybe that's what's going on here. Jesus wants to have a final bit of quality time with his mates. No, I I don't think it's that. I think actually what we see here in verse 17 and 16 is much more than sentimentality. It's about the kingdom of God. Jesus is eager to be with the disciples because for him this is not just a meal. This is a meal with a message. It is a meal to be assigned, verse 16 and 17, you see that phrase twice, that finds its fulfilment until the kingdom of God comes. Verse 18, until the kingdom of God comes. This meal that Jesus is about to share with his disciples is is pointing forward to a great feast of when God's eternal kingdom is established. That's why Jesus is eager to eat this meal. And so, verse 19, during this meal, for the first time, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. It's such a simple meal of bread and wine, and yet its significance is monumental. For this bread and this wine, for the disciples, are appointed to what Jesus will do in a matter of hours, his death on the cross. They're a reminder for us of what Jesus has done. We have to remember, don't we, that that the Passover meal was a celebration. It was a celebration of God rescuing his people from Egypt rescuing them out of slavery into the promised land. But what Jesus is doing here is the beginning of something new. Look at verse 20 again. This cup is the cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant in my blood. We've seen firstly that Jesus' death was what he prepared for, but secondly we see Jesus' death is the beginning of a new covenant. Uh, a covenant is an agreement or a promise. I think um, some of my most precious, precious memories from being at St Mary's will be uh, having the privilege of speaking at weddings. I've been very uh, wonderfully blessed to have three, uh, been to speak at three weddings. And I count that as a huge privilege because of the significance of the day as two people stand before each other and make promises, make a covenant with each other, an agreement. Well, I think marriage is one of the best uh, earthly examples of, a human, of God's covenant. 
a covenant that God makes with his people Israel. And you can sum up that covenant as this. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's what God says. And the old covenant that Israel, God made with Israel was uh, a wonderful covenant. It contains uh, feasts and festivals that reminded Israel of God's rescue and provision for them. And it contained a sacrificial system that reminded those who trusted God how they could be forgiven and be in that covenant relationship with God. And, but Jesus is saying, that old covenant is not a bad covenant, it's just an old covenant. But now, Jesus brings in the new covenants. A covenant that begins through his death, through his body and his blood. It's a covenant to which all the old festivals and sacrifices pointed. A covenant not limited by geography and nation. Those to whom now God will say, I will be your God, you will be my people, are all those who trust Christ's death. Christ's death alone is what qualifies us to be in this covenant relationship with God's. And therefore, this meal replaces the Passover meal. This meal of bread and wine becomes a reminder of what Christ's death has achieved for us. This new relationship with God. But it's also, remember, a pointer forward to that new, eternal, perfect kingdom. I I know that a, a crumb of bread and a sip of wine Uh, It doesn't really feel like much of a feast, does it? But it is supposed to remind us of our future feast with God. That's why it is a meal. Tonight um, just happens to be, or maybe it's brilliant planning, uh, a communion service where we take the Lord's Supper together. And uh, I wonder how you feel when you walk in the door and you realise... It's a communion service. If we're honest, I wouldn't be surprised if some of our hearts just sink a little bit. Because you think, ah, oh, it means the service is going to be longer. Or perhaps during the service, we just go through the motions a bit. We listen to words that we've heard perhaps hundreds of times before. And we go through the front or sit, come up to the front or sit in our seats and we go through the motions of eating the bread and passing the wine. But to be honest, your main aim is to avoid making eye contact with the person next to you, not to drop the wine, and then to try and wipe the cup with the tissue that by the time it gets to you isn't really dry. These are all the things going through our heads. All a bit awkward. Perhaps even a bit weird. Perhaps just dull. How do I know that's how some of us feel? Well, because that's how I feel sometimes when it comes to a communion service. So perhaps tonight you, like me, need to be reminded again of what this meal represents. Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it and he gave it to to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. 
It's a meal that as we eat, we remember our Saviour's death. It's a meal that reminds us that God wanted us to be in a relationship with him so much that he was willing to come himself and die on a cross. See, if you want to see how committed God is to keeping his covenant with his people, then look no further than the cross. Look no further than the bread and the wine. So this evening, as we eat, can I encourage us to engage our memories? To take a moment to give thanks to Christ. I, am, I never used to be a fan of liturgy. Uh, maybe you're not a fan of liturgy. Uh, over the last two years, as I've studied at Wycliffe, I've been exposed to liturgy I didn't even know existed. And to be honest, a strange thing has happened in my time. I've grown to really like it. The Tim Dennis of five years ago would never have said that. And I know the communion liturgy is long, but it's there for a reason. It's there to remind us of the significance of what this meal that we take means. And here's the cold, hard truth that I've had to grapple with these last few days. When we think the liturgy is boring, it's not a problem with the liturgy. It's a problem with us. For who wouldn't want to be reminded of the glorious truths that we say and hear said when we come to the Lord's table? I know that perhaps for some of us, we, we don't even know what some of the words mean. That's okay. That's fine. But let's learn. Let's find out what the words mean. I wonder, do, do, how many people know what ablation means? Okay, if I was to ask you, how many times have you said ablation? I'll tell you what it means. It means the act of offering something to God. There you go, every day's a school day. So if the liturgy doesn't connect because you don't understand it, then go away and learn. Ask questions of your youth leaders or friends. Find out what it means so that as you read it and as you hear it and reflect on it, you can own it for yourself. You can delight in the truth that it contains. And you can worship Christ through it. The Lord's Supper that we're about to celebrate in a moment reminds us that Jesus' death was the beginning of a new covenant. Thirdly and finally, Jesus' death is the model of kingdom service. Jesus' death is the model of kingdom service. After the high this glorious moment that Jesus has just been sharing with his disciples, it's hard to imagine a bigger come down than verse 22. One of the people who is at this table, reclining at this table, is going to betray Jesus. Bosh, back down to earth with a bump. Of course, the thing is, this isn't actually a come down because this is all part of what Jesus has prepared in advance to happen. I think actually the most shocking come down in this passage comes in verse 24. Jesus has just been talking about how he is going to lay down his life to save his people 
And verse 24, a dispute amongst the disciples arose as to which of them was be, to be considered the greatest. Unbelievable. What are they thinking? It's a wonder that Jesus just doesn't get up and kick their backsides, isn't it? Do they still not get it after all this time? Well, no. <laughs> it turns out they didn't. Not fully yet. But they will do soon. For these men will go on to be so significant in building the church that verse 30, Jesus promises them that under him they will have a role in ruling over the new perfected kingdom of God. But in the meantime, they're not to be like, verse 25, the Gentile leaders. The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise over authority over them call themselves benefactors. It's Gentile leaders who, who they rule, but it's all about them. They even have the cheek to call themselves benefactors. Instead, Jesus says, verse 26, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. When you have um, guests around for dinner, you want to honour them, don't you? And one of the ways that you honour guests is by serving them. Jesus, we see in this passage, is worthy of all honour, infinite honour. And yet he is the one who is serving the disciples, giving them the bread and the wine. And he is the one that is about to serve them through his death. This is how the disciples are to live. To serve others as Christ has served them. And that's how we are to live too. We, we don't have time to look into it uh, this evening because it's a large passage, but we see in verse 35 to 38 that serving God will not be easy. The disciples need to be prepared. And so do we. Well, tonight then, how should we respond? Well, I think there are um, broadly two uh, responses to some of this teaching. Two responses to Jesus' um, command here as he sends us out into the world. And I, I've, I want to liken them, maybe it's a terrible illustration, but it's my last evening, so we'll try it. Um, I want to liken the two responses to Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo. <laughs> We're on the edge, aren't we? Now, uh, if you've seen Scooby-Doo, for me the cartoon from back in the day, maybe for you guys the film, or some of you, what is he talking about? Um, they are... Uh, they go on little adventures, little detective adventures, all an animated cartoon. And um, you'll realise that Scooby-Doo, uh, who's a dog, is a bit of a wuss. He's sort of a bumbling idiot, always making mistakes, always failing, always getting in the way. Scrappy-Doo is the opposite. Scrappy-Doo is a little dog who's at the first sign of trouble is like, let me at him, let me at him, I'll get him, I'm coming for them. Where am I going with this? I'm wondering. <laughs> You've got the contrast, haven't you? 
Well, look, when, when Simon Peter hears this stuff from Jesus, his response is a bit like Scrappy-Doo, isn't it? Verse 33, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Let me at them. I'm for you, Lord. I've got this. But then imagine what he must have felt when in verse 34 Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Three times you will deny that you know me. I mean, what must he be thinking? Disbelief? Shock? Not me, Lord. Surely not me. I've never doubted you. I never will. See, in the the face of the challenge to to serve Christ, some of us can sometimes be prone to overconfidence, thinking we can do it in our own strength, taking on the world. And yet we know what happened to Peter. What Jesus said would happen, happened. He messed up. He failed. He, He gave in. He denied. He knew Jesus. I mean, haven't we all done that? Haven't we all come away from a conversation where we know that we have failed to speak up, failed to acknowledge we're a Christian, failed to uh, defend the Christian faith in an argument or a discussion or a conversation? Why? Because we're just a bit embarrassed. See, Peter is actually more like Scooby-Doo. But this passage contains wonderful hope for people like Peter. Look at verse 32. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. You see, Peter's about to go on a journey of failure, and yet Jesus says to him before it happens, but don't worry, I have you. I'm holding you, and I'm protecting you. I will not let you go. He says, I'm interceding before God for you. Now, Peter's role in the church was unique. He would go on to lay the foundations with the other apostles of the church. But if he needs Jesus to intercede before God for us, for for himself, then how much more do we need that to? And so I think the question for us this evening is this. Where is your confidence before God? It, It cannot be in ourselves. For there is nothing in and of ourselves to give us confidence before God. It can only be in Christ. Through his sacrificial service. Through his death. That is the only means by which failures like you and me and Peter can belong and in his eternal kingdom. Belong to his covenant people. That's our only hope. Uh, Let me um, finish with this. As uh, Jay and I reflect on our time at St Mary's, um, we really hope that you don't believe our publicity. Uh, When you leave, people say really nice things about you. And it's really flattering. But I often think, if only you knew the truth. If only you knew what was in my heart, my failings, my struggles, my weaknesses, my sin. You'd never listen to a word I ever said. 
But that is who I am, and that is who you are. And if we recognize that, it means that we can see and recognize Christ, who he is and what he's done for us. And with that in mind, when we recognize our sin, our failings and our weaknesses, we can say, I think, some of the most beautiful words in the liturgy of the Church of England uh, that have ever been written. Let me finish with this. We do not presume to come to this your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord whose nature is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body, and our souls washed through his most precious blood, and that we may evermore dwell in him, and he in us. Amen.